Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross, at managing editor, Fightful.com, FightfulWrestling.com. Usually, we had the list and your boy in this time slot. Jimmy Van is out. So I have a bit of a different show. You guys have heard me talk about Raw, about SmackDown, about New Japan, about Super Showdown all week. So we're going to do something a little bit different. Right now on the show, I have Dan of Leather by Dan joining me. Dan, how are you? Hey, Sean. How you doing? Really excited to do this. I've kind of pitched back and forth to you an idea for us to do a show for a while or, or for you to do a show in relation to this because I'm I'm fascinated by what you do, and we're going to have some other guests on this show today after Dan as well. But uh, Dan, why don't you tell the people what what exactly it is that you do? Well, right now I'm making custom championship belts out there for a bunch of companies and mostly private industry. Uh, Belts has become a huge business as far as awards go. You know, you have a company, salesman of the week, saleswoman of the week, anything that would normally be given out a trophy or a plaque or a medal belts are the cool new award to give people. And as I look as I look at your site right now, leatherbydan.com, I see fantasy super cosplay women wrestling championship. I see golf course club championships, wedding championships. So I mean I mean they are something to have. It's something you can kind of just always it's not gonna go away. <laughs> It's, it's something that will always be there that you can remember something by. And when did you first start getting into this? When, when did it first hit you? Man, I'm interested in this. Pretty much 1998, the day after WrestleMania 14, when they debuted the Blue Big Eagle belt with Stone Cold. I saw that belt and I was instantly glued to it. So back then, there was no Google. It was Hotbot. Yeah. So I get on the old Hotbot. And I'm looking for pictures of whatever this new belt was. And that led me to a Yahoo club of about 30 people that were, you know, just fans of wrestling belts. 
And back then there was like three guys who had real belts by Reggie Parks and they were thought of as like the gods and gurus of the belt world. So it, it started off there and just picking their brains on everything about belts. So here we are, you know, 20 years later, and now I'm actually making them. And, you know, in 20 years, it started off as collecting, then it became repair. And it got to a point where there were so many belts that needed repair that couldn't be repaired. And people said, well, you know enough about it. Why don't you just do it yourself? And I never really thought about it, but I always knew how. So I just started tinkering around a little bit of trial and error. And I started making custom belts on the side just for friends. And within the last two years, I started doing it as a full business. So I know that you, you kind of draw up concept art and there's a deposit uh, set up for that. But what goes into this? Because I think a lot of people maybe don't realize and the type of belts that you have, it's not like one cookie cutter thing. Like all these are wildly different. Yeah, there's customers who know exactly what they want. And those people are great to work with because they come to you with the artwork or they have a visual concept in their mind. And it's up to me to just take that and put it into a real belt. But I know not everyone is like that. There are people who want the cookie cutter. There's people who just want to guide you along. So I, my website has over 50 different templates. I'm not the greatest artist myself. So I have no problem in hiring freelance artists. I give them an idea or I pass on the customer specs and they're the ones who put it to life. And then knowing my background on how it'll turn out, I can make little modifications and changes as needed as the customer requests. What is the most odd request that you've had without, without maybe throwing somebody under the bus? Uh, the oddest request. The first time I was approached to do a wedding belt, I thought that was an odd request. Although I had a friend who already had like the first known wedding belt done. And since then I've done three, but I've had I've had a couple of um, weird independent wrestling promoters approach me. One person wanted a handicap wrestling belt. Oh wow! And I'm you know I I'm very I guess liberal, but some of the aspects of the belt design it just wasn't something I was gonna do. You know yeah. this this guy was just trying to be uh, demeaning, and I'm not, oh, I'm not even sure wow. if he would find any type of actual wrestlers to actually compete for the belt. So that, that was a job I had no problem turning down. What are, what are some of the championships that you looked at maybe when you were younger and you were like, man, that's like, it just drew you to belts. To me, I always loved the NWA United States championship. uh, Or I think it was whichever. Yeah. It was the NWA United States championship. Thought it was a gorgeous title. uh, And, and maybe a championship that you think should be reintroduced these days. Well, one of the first wrestling events I remember watching as a kid was WrestleMania six and the ultimate warrior classic intercontinental championship. It's such a plain design when you compare that to belts today, but sometimes simple is better. That belt has been etched into my mind since that day. And in the early nineties, when you had Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect fighting for the championship, that was the belt I wanted to see. My first pay-per-view, I went to SummerSlam 91 in Madison Square Garden. I'm in the last row up against the wall in the 400 sections, 
and I wanted to leave after the Bret Hart match. That's all I cared about. I didn't care about Hogan. I didn't care about the wedding. I wanted to see Bret and the IC Championship. So Yeah, to, to the point to where they brought it back. It was such a popular design, and I, I did not like the one of the late 90s and early 2000s. I, I just wasn't, wasn't my taste. Uh, as I see online, uh, what, what companies have you created championships for uh, that, that maybe people have seen uh, or know, know most? Well, the one that's getting a lot of publicity right now is the Bojangles Cajun Filet Spinner Belt. <laughs> it is the first spinner belt I have done. I do not foresee myself doing many more of them in the future, but um, it is getting a ton of publicity right now. The, the person who owns it, who was awarded it by Bojangles, he is the definition of a traveling champion, Mr. Jay-Z Flair. He's traveling all over the South, and every time he goes to a Bojangles, he's tweeting pictures of the belt with customers, with employees. I mean, the guy's like an unpaid employee for them at this time. He'd better hope that Derek Lewis and Daniel Cormier, to promote their new fight, don't jump from Popeyes to Bojangles, because he might lose that. Well, I saw earlier in the year when uh, Cam Newton was tweeting about Bojangles, and I, I said to, to Jay-Z, you got to watch your back because if Cam wants that belt, he's going to come and take it. So there, the way you, you were actually the person that told me women's tag team titles have been completed. What, what do you know about that situation? Well, first thing I want to say is when I give news on wrestling belts as far as what's coming or what's planned – that's not something my side business, my side business is belts is a totally separate entity. If I'm making a belt, I'm not going to leak that information. I, I do not work for WWE. I do not make their belts. But being in this hobby and business, as long as I have, I know enough people in the business, in the companies. So when I do get something leaked to me, I do try to verify it with other sources. And then I do pass that news on to people via Twitter or via the website. So Back in March before WrestleMania, the Cruiserweight Tag Team Championships, the design actually got leaked. And I wasn't even the first person it leaked to. Somebody posted it on a small Facebook group. So once I got that uh, leak, I verified it with certain sources. And then that's when I decided to uh, post the information about it. And then a week later, WWE actually filed an injunction to prevent counterfeits being sold in new orleans during wrestlemania week and uh, then a wow. few weeks later um news started saying oh they're thinking about doing women's tag belts right then it was just an idea being pitched around and then eventually some of those sources came back and said yeah they're they're all set on doing women's tag belts so from then, it's just digging around sources, seeing what people know. And eventually, what happened was the confirmation of the women's tag belts came at the same time as the confirmation for the Evolution pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So the, the source I heard pretty much isn't a belt person. So I have to go based on how they describe it to me. And the picture I tweeted several weeks or several months ago is a very old picture that a fan made in the old WWE video game. And based on what I was told, that's pretty much a 90% representation on how it'll look. I've had people within the company confirm that it's pretty close to what will be used, but things change every day on 
when they want to debut it, if they're going to debut it. But the last word I heard is they're, they were either going to do it during the pre-show of the Evolution pay-per-view, or they might just rush it and announce it within the next week or two. So, I mean, you, you are a bit of a belt historian as well. And we always get questions like on our Q&A shows that I think are better suited for you. Championships that weren't used. I think there's a common misconception that I think it was actually you that cleared up for me. The Mabel King of the Ring Championship, that wasn't a WWE-made championship, correct? Correct. That was a belt that Mabel had made on his own after he left the company. He reached out to uh, Reggie Parks. Dave Milliken had that belt made. Mabel owned it. If you notice, if you look at that belt, it does have WWF, but it's in a font. It is not in the copyrighted WWF block logo. So that is a belt that Mabel used on the independents. He would defend it. And mostly it was used. I, I seen him several times with it. He would have it at a gimmick table and charge fans, you know, $10, $15 to take a picture with him at the belt. The belt certainly based on its size, it's very unique. So if you're a fan, even if you don't know much about wrestling, you're going to get drawn over to that and you're going to want to learn more. So it was a great marketing uh ploy by Mabel to just get people interested in him. And now was this was this after his final run as Vissa or did he do this between like one of his several runs? No, he he got it made before before Viscera. Okay. There, there was there was a there was a time where I believe he was away from the company for yes. a little bit after Men on a Mission. He had that main on his own and actually that belt he sold it before he passed away. He sold it. It bounced around to a few places, and it's actually owned by a friend of mine who has it in his private collection. And should he hear this, he might choose to tweet a current day picture of it. So fingers crossed. I felt like I saw that person post and say that one of the reasons why he didn't post photos of that was because of uh, basically counterfeits and replicas that have been created or attempted or maybe the fear of such. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, the the biggest issue in the whole belt collecting community right now is just counterfeits. Yeah. Anybody who posts a picture of a belt or, for example, any of these leaked belts that are coming out, within days there will be counterfeits on, really? on Amazon, on eBay, on Facebook Marketplace. There are several companies over in Pakistan that are whipping out low-quality replicas in bulk. Oh, yeah, they, they hit me up. They email me often trying oh, yeah. to sell belts. Yes. If you're a member of a Facebook group, they pretty much join the group. They get an instant list of however many hundred or thousand members there are there. Yeah. And then they just send mass message. And unfortunately, there's a lot of collectors out there who don't know the intricacies of what to look for in an authentic belt. So you have somebody come to you offering something that might look good enough to an uneducated eye. The price point is where you want it to be. And then these people are spending money on something that they get in the mail and realize is a piece of junk. So it's, it's a big issue right now. Another we get a lot of questions about is the Rock Brahma Bull Championship. There are a couple of images out there. And honestly, the first I had ever heard of it was on a video game when I, I saw it there. But now there are, it looks like, copies of this championship out there. What can you kind of tell us about that title, maybe any plans or if it actually existed? The actual belt did exist. Uh, belt maker at the time, Jamar, Joe Marshall, did make it for WWE. 
the belt featured a 3D Brahma bullhead. And what happened was the belt was actually lost in the mail. He sent it via FedEx to WWE, as the story goes, and it was magically lost. So WWE decided to go in a different direction. And then a few weeks later, the belt was found and finally delivered. This belt was a myth for years until WWE finally decided to display it at Access several WrestleManias ago. So once that belt was posted, you know, dozens of fans taking pictures with it, posting it online. And now you have those same counterfeiters using those pictures to offer copies. So as far as I know, there are only two authentic ones ever made. One is the one WWE has, and the other was the backup that Joe was rushing to make to replace it that's currently owned privately. I know The Rock displays his championships proudly in his home. There was that, I think it was a SmackDown 10-year anniversary where you kind of saw it in the background. I'm surprised he doesn't have one of those. I'm surprised he doesn't have one either, but Rock is a ring-used belt collector. Oh, Several, Several years ago... During the John Cena feud, he did his uh, satellite interview, and he had a case with several belts behind him. Most of those were replicas, but if you do go through some of his history, for example, his daughter tweeted a picture of Rock's ring-used Big Eagle belt, a ring-used spinner, and a couple of other ring-used belts he he does have. The, the story I was told was he actually took the ring use spinner home with him after he debuted the new WWE <laughs> logo design in 2013. The story goes that WWE had to call rock and get the belt back. The spinner belt. How do you ask the rock for that back? I want to know who's the person who has to make that phone call. That's a, that's a tough, that's a tough sell. Yeah. But what oh, happened man. was it, it's, it's funny how things work out in the end because some things happened. Um, I won't say the full story, but if you remember, the Buddy Rogers WWF belt was found several years ago. Yeah. And WWE wanted that belt back. And the private collector who owned that belt made a deal with WWE. Allegedly, the spinner belt was part of a trade. And that collector gifted the last ring you spinner belt to The Rock. So oh, he, wow. he should That's- have it. That's fantastic. Yes, it's a it's a story with a good ending. Um, I'm not sure how many of the details are specifically correct, but if you do follow certain people's Twitters, you will put the full story together. So does WWE, I mean, you mentioned earlier about how WWE filed injunctions to prevent uh, replicas, replica WWE Cruiserweight titles. When situations like that arise and they like, their old championships are found, do they ever try to throw their legal weight around and say, "Hey, it's ours anyway"? I mean, I know that one time, I know that once upon a time, somebody found the belt that Steve Austin threw into, I guess, the river and tried to sell it back to WWE, and the price was just they weren't interested, according to Bruce Pritchard. Uh, do you ever hear of them like maybe trying to be like, hey, that's ours anyway, give it to us? No, and I think that's a that's something that they could do. They have the muscle, they have the authority to go after people for these things. You're but telling me they haven't. So with that with that um, belt that Steve Austin threw over the bridge, if you go back and watch the footage, he had the IC belt in his hand, 
his hand drops out of the frame for a second and he picks up an old tag team belt. Yeah. And he threw an old tag team belt in the river. A fan allegedly dove after it, got it the next day, called WWE and said, Hey, I'll give you the belt back for five grand. And WWE told him, enjoy your new belt. You could probably have one made for cheaper than that. Well, that gets into a whole different ball of wax with how, authentic copies are being made and licensed licensing is a big WWE makes millions on the sale of these replica belts. Yeah. So once these bootlegs start cutting into that, that's when we're going to see WWE using their legal muscle to go. And, you know, Amazon is a huge partner. eBay is a huge yeah. partner. Well, you know, one phone call, they can pretty much clean the market up, but several of these belts, WWE didn't think of belts as being important until recently. They were thought of as props. Wrestlers, sure. you know, took them home or they would be retired championship and they would be gifted away. And then pretty much when Triple H took over, I think there was a huge change in direction as far as understanding that these aren't just props. They're a piece of history. They need to be kept. They need to be yeah. archived. And with the WWE warehouse, they have tons of championship belts that they just keep on file. They don't want anything getting out anymore. Now, occasionally stuff does get out. They do gift stuff to wrestlers or certain celebrities, and those belts occasionally do come across collectors' hands. But pretty much anything pre-2005-ish, that's the stuff you're going to see privately owned. Anything within the last five, 10 years is going to be like finding a needle in a haystack. Dan, tell the people where they can find you on social media and uh, your website. Uh, my website is Leather by Dan or Belts by Dan. You can see me on Instagram at BeltFanDan, and my Twitter is Belts by Dan. He's a great follow. I really encourage you guys to check him out. Uh, I've been uh, very fortunate to follow him and get to know Dan a little bit over the last year. So Dan, I want to thank you so much for joining me. I'd love to, to talk to you again, maybe a little bit longer about stuff like this. A lot of this was, was truly fascinating. I can go on forever with this as long as uh, I'm not putting your listeners to sleep, <laughs> but I appreciate you having me today, Sean. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. Bye. Leatherbydan.com. Check him out. We are Jimmy Vanless today. So I'm going solo. We're going to Talk a little bit of stuff. I didn't want to put you all through the same old Raw, SmackDown, Super Showdown, New Japan stuff. I've done shows on all that this weekend. Talked a little bit about Impact Bound for Glory. Of course, uh, we cover Impact, Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, all that stuff on on the FightfulSelect.com Weekender. But I, I want to talk a little bit before I bring in my next guest about a column that I saw on PW Torch. You know, I don't shout out a lot of other outlets. Hey, they don't shout us out. But it was one that maybe criticized the creative direction of Impact Wrestling recently. And man, Impact fans got the pitchforks out. I had a guy saying, you don't even watch the show to this fellow who very clearly watched the show, does post shows. And he criticized some of the booking aspects of the show. And when I look at this Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory show up and down, There's not a single, I don't see many acts on there that haven't been fumbled. I look at Moose, and I compared him to a lot to Monty Brown, a guy who looked like he could shoulder the franchise of Impact Wrestling as a special star. He's in the co-main event, wasn't given a title run, was made a crony. Eddie Edwards, 
not a strong actor. Not, that, that makes me a little less interested in this match. Taya Valkyrie has not been around. Not been around. Tessa Blanchard was sacrificed. This this woman who, albeit she had some some attitude issues, which have been documented a little bit, she's a very special talent. That's probably why she has those attitude issues. She's good on the mic. She looks great. She can wrestle. Sacrificed to Madison Rain early on to get a win for Sue Young later on down the line, only to have Tessa Blanchard win the championship. Not a lot of it made sense. Ethan Page brought back, I love that. They debuted him as Chandler Park, and they've completely ignored that. Rich Swan's brought in. I like him so far. No, nothing wrong to say there. Matt Seidel, we'll talk about that uh, at an, on, on the weekender. But OVE, that has been a really a group that I think has stood above and beyond everybody else. They have been fantastic characters. Sammy Callahan has saved those two guys. But Brian Cage, he's the X Division champion, built as their Goldberg. Why isn't he defending the championship here? Why do we have a six-man tag here? Why do we need that? Why is that happening? It doesn't need to happen. I'm sure it'll be a barn burner of a match. It'll be an OBE rules match, but that doesn't need to happen. Phoenix and Pentagon booked okay, but why in this pointless six-man tag match? Aries and Johnny Impact, I mean, you know, I'm interviewing Johnny Impact this week, but not the strongest booking of your main event i think i think you need to have something different something somebody and something that people haven't seen a hundred times and unfortunately for lax and the ogs i think that is something they've seen a hundred times uh every week they're figuring out a way to stretch out this storyline and it's not for me the match is going to be for me the match is going to be fantastic i can't wait to see this match and i'm excited to cover bound for glory this sunday But when Impact Wrestling fans, specifically loyalists, pull up the pitchforks and attack any criticism of the company, that is holding the company back. You are not exempt from criticism just because you are the little guy. You are exempt from criticism when you have such a unanimously great product that nobody wants to criticize it. And uh, newsflash, that ain't happening. However, now I am joined by a friend of mine, a Fightful contributor. He also works for Deadspin. You can catch him on Between the Sheets. We're going to talk a little bit about a topic that that I feel like hasn't been delved into enough. Uh, David Bixenspan joins me. David, how are you? My baby picture is doing fine. Well, they can't see that. They just see me, David. Oh, I see. You have the controlling thing. Okay, yes. Yeah, of course, David. You are today's Melissa. Not that you know what that means, but, man, you just broke the fourth wall. And, my God. Uh, You guys can check out a members-only podcast I did with Vix. Arguably the best one we did. It was – I might make that one free to – Oh, the one about Cut Walter? Yeah, yeah, we'll call it that. I, I might make that public, although I will say it was it was about our experiences at What Culture. That podcast led, I think, either was right after or led to them contacting me and then paying me for stuff they hadn't paid me for. But uh, I contacted you, and I was like, you know what? I saw you you kind of bringing up, and, and maybe Chris Zellner, about Ted Turner and his spot in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. And he's recently been diagnosed with Louis body dementia, and you all do such a great job of covering long form, the, the retro aspect of pro wrestling. I don't think that anybody does it better. What, what do people maybe not know about a Ted Turner? Because, I mean, there are a lot of 
there are a lot of misconceptions about him, his involvement or lack thereof in WCW and pro wrestling from that era. I mean, it's interesting because you're right, but the misconceptions, it is that he was less involved than Vince McMahon made it seem like he was involved. But, I mean, he was still responsible for Jim Crockett promotions not disappearing and he owned WCW. And then, you know, going back to the early 70s, he's such an influential figure on the, you know, Atlanta and larger Georgia wrestling scene, even, you know, when, even before he put TBS on satellite and, the, and thus cable. And it's, it's funny that this talk came, you know, this week, right, as I was listening to, I was catching up with uh, Ron Fuller's podcast. Podcast. I almost said podcast. That's bad. Um, <laughs> well, some people. Yes. And he's been doing a multi-part series on the early 70s Atlanta Wrestling War, the promotional war that broke out after Ray Gunkel. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply death where depending on who you ask and he appears to be countering that ron is you know that the promotion was kind of taken from his widow and that led to the promotional war where all but two wrestlers left the nwa promotion to go to the opposition group because they were so loyal to Ray uncle anyway there's just so much going back to i guess it's 72 when the Atlanta wrestling show switches to what was then WTCG Turner communications group. And, you know, he, Ron Fuller saying that at the time, cause he said his dad was relating it to him. You know, Turner was already talking about his plans to get on satellite and cable with TBS, which everyone thought was a ridiculous idea because why would anyone care about this random local UHF station? And, Oh God, they're going to be people young enough listening to this that I that aren't going to understand what the distinction for UHF station would be. Um, how should I explain that? I mean, you, I think you could explain it much better than I. Well, I mean, now it's confusing too, because most TV is on UHF as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a either way, I mean, but the the, antenna that you use now, if you get over the air TV, most of your TV, it used to be like for the weirdo lower level channels, many of which did not have a network affiliation. Yes. Like. WTCG later WTBS yeah and you know wrestling team still does well once it moves to his station then after the split and Gunkel Ray's widow is able to get her own hour right after the 
hour that the NWA promotion had because she was friendly with Ted Turner, which people have used euphemistically over the years. I don't know what the truth is. And because those ended up kind of merging together after settled lawsuits and stuff, that was the beginning of why the Saturday Night Show was two hours. The original NWA show was an hour. It became two hours because it was eventually two different promotion shows moving, merging together. And even though there was a promotional war at the time, the two shows taped right after the, each other at the same TBS studio with the wrestlers from the opposition promotions, the warring promotion. Yes. Anyway, so then he puts it on satellite and he just changes things overnight for so many wrestlers. Yeah. You know, once Tommy Rich goes to Georgia, he's a star, mass superstar. Georgia starts becoming this territory that gets the best of the NWA because it's the showcase all of a sudden. And then, you know, it becomes a centerpiece of TBS. Ted Turner always said that the success of TBS was Andy Griffith reruns, Braves games, and wrestling. That's that's what I remember it as. I, and I remember often I would catch one of those three because I had watched. I mean, I was a big baseball fan, so... The only two I cared about were wrestling and Braves games. And I really just cared about Braves games because it was on and it was a steady source of baseball. And the Andy Griffith would pop in. And there was always the perception also of wrestling's only on this network because of Ted Turner. Uh, I would recommend the Nitro book for people who want to hear what Turner employees thought of of the, the programming. But... What do you what do you make of that perception? I mean, they were doing fantastic numbers. At some point, people at Turner had to see the value in that, correct? It looks like no. I mean, <laughs> right? you know, the, the Guy Evans book that you just mentioned, I mean, it's very heavy on like this company never was gonna last under yeah. Turner Broadcasting because everyone else wanted to sink it. Now isn't that weird? I mean, we there's always been the perception which quite honestly, was true up until just these TV deals that wrestling fans would not spend money, that wrestling fans were poor, and that because of that, advertising rates were low. Well, I would imagine advertising rates are probably about to go up if you're USA Network and Fox because they have to. They just spent a ton of money to acquire WWE. Why do you think it took so long even after that, even after the Monday Night Wars, which there was a huge lull and decline there. But, I mean, even in that period, this huge booming period, the the rates were not what they should have been. I think WWE is just now getting, like, they're just due in this regard. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons. I mean, I think one, for example, that's not even talked about is I think, just if we're talking specific to WCW, I think the market research was probably not very good because, the you know, I'm sure you noticed in the book they kind of repeat – Oh, you know, we, we had all these demographics about, you know, th- I think they said we were more we, that they had more of a heavily white audience than at least in terms of the paying fans than the NBA shows on TNT did. But then it's like, well, you also had all this research, like some of the research that's mentioned in like the WCW racial discrimination lawsuits that a bunch of people got in trouble for citing, but appears to have been actual research they had was the black fans were mainly watching on TV and wouldn't pay to go to shows. Here's the thing, though. Anyone who would say that has never watched a WCW show right after watching a WWF show in that era, because WCW clearly had a lot more black paying fans than the WWF did. Yeah, not even close. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think that the research that they had was probably not that good. I mean, 
you know, this is all, these are also the same people who were doing research, and I'm sure some of it was legit. Like, it makes sense, you know, the whole thing of fancying WCW is the more sh- straight wrestling company that bodes with everything, every, you know, anyone we've ever talked to in our lives as wrestling fans. But then also, like, Sonny Ono had a remarkably high familiarity rating in a study they did. Hey, let's was, talk about Sonny Ono. I was watching a show for a retro review, FightfulSelect.com. Man could throw some kicks. I just want to say that. Well, he wasn't a three-time world karate champion, though. Like He guy. was in a match with one, but by God, he could throw some kicks. Anyway, I think that's part of it. I think it's just the wrestling perception. I think, you know, me and Chris bang this drum a lot lately. You have to give Stephanie McMahon a ton of credit. Mm-hmm. As as the was it chief brand officer, I almost said yes. brand ambassador for WWE, that she has done a lot of work. I think her being able to get that Eisenhower fellowship and making them come off more like a real company, so to speak. Um, just, you know, the work they've done in getting new sponsors who maybe some of them were getting, were doing it because they felt it was a good deal yeah. price wise. But now that they have K jewelers and stuff that I think, she, I think she's done the work. I think, you know, a lot of it was just shedding perception and, I think now we're seeing that come to roost. I mean, why this was kind of an underreported story, I don't know. Because it, it, you know, we've talked about this at least on Twitter. You watch a UFC card, the conventional wisdom was UFC was getting higher ad rates. It sure didn't look like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are no dick pills on WWE shows. Well, let me tell you what. There are dick pills on this show, David Bixen Span. And people were telling me. People had the balls to tell me this week. But you, you that, but your dick pills are legitimate. You just hold on. You okay. just hold on. Cody Rhodes did a blue chew segue on being the elite. And people said, Sean, you need to give him some tips. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. First off, he's Cody Rhodes. I'm not doing that. And I'm not giving anybody the tip. I'm giving him the whole thing because uh. I go to bluechew.com. I use that code Fightful. You can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Blue Chew, like the color blue, brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. Take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as the pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. No in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, no more awkwardness. They ship direct and are made in the USA. They're cheaper than a pharmacy. And right now, use that code FIGHTFUL. Get your first shipment free. You just pay $5 shipping. Hit them up on Twitter at GetBlueChew. Let them know that you heard about them from us. Let them know that David Bixenspan made you flaccid. But Sean Ross, that helped you. Oh, great. As you were, David. But you, you have legitimate dick pill ads, though. Yeah, damn right I do. I mean, the, the UFC dick pill ads are not. What do they use? Some trash, I'm sure. I mean, they're, I mean, I guess they're not technically dick pills. They're testosterone boosters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. The stuff that you find at Walmart on the bottom what? shelf in the supplement section. Yeah. Oh, what's his name? Oh, what, who's the baseball player that does the... Is it Frank Thomas that does the ads? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Man, the big hurt. He was a legend. Yes. He was a legend. Yes. But uh, so, as we kind of circle back to Ted Turner, were you were you 
steering me in that direction knowing I would get there? Of course I was, David. I'm fa- I'm fantastic at this. Yeah. I'm fantastic at this. What this leads me, I mean, and it was always just a shot in the dark hope anyway. I always wanted to hear Ted Turner speak at length on the record about his involvement in WCW, his thoughts, his hopes. And we're probably never getting that now. The closest well, we'll, the closest we'll get is the, I guess, 1998 deposition. Okay, you were going where I was, yeah. Yeah. If we, that, get, that, if we can get either the transcript or the video of his deposition from the Which leaves out pretty crucial years, essentially. I mean, in 98, we there's a lot that's missing from there. And I think that's, I think that's heartbreaking, man. Yeah, it, it's better than nothing, though. Yeah, it it is better than nothing. It, it for sure is. But, man, I would love to see his thoughts on the close of WCW, the end, how things unfolded, how things worked after the merger, his thoughts on Eric Bischoff, his thoughts, if any, on Vince Russo. I would love to hear that stuff. Oh, I, d- I doubt he's familiar with Vince Russo. You think he doesn't know Vince Well, maybe not at this point, David. Have Have some sympathy for the man. But... I think I'm sure he knew who he was at that point. At least it's to some degree. I think you're giving your boy too much credit. My boy. I think your boy is giving your boy too much credit. You think he really doesn't know who was put in control of his show and then eventually won, won the championship. Now, I'm not pretending that he's familiar with all the people that held that title. Um... That's very mean to Jeff Jarrett, by the way. I'm, I'm pretty sure he knows who Jeff Jarrett is. He seems like so the who kind of guy he doesn't know David Arquette. Oh, he knows David Arquette. I don't Booker think T. he knows. Yeah, he probably knows Booker T. Maybe, maybe I. I wouldn't. Are you counting Chuck Palumbo as a champion? He definitely does have doesn't have a clue who Chuck Palumbo is. For sure, doesn't. Are we sure he never ordered a custom motorcycle from him or anything? Wow, David, a wealth of knowledge you are <laughs> on this podcast. On this podcast. Some of you may remember David Vixen's band was an original ho- host with me on a former wrestling website that we did. David, tell me, what's your favorite match of the year? Um, Just do the accent. I don't, I'm not giving you, I don't know what David, you said. Oh, this come year? on. David, oh, this year? you're ruining okay. it. You're ruining it, damn it. Okay, this year? No, you you messed it up. I can't go into it. You've already Okay, say it again. Okay, just say it again. Start fresh. No, it's you you've taken so much away from it. Oh, come you've on. It's good. It'll so be good. Much. It'll be good. Just say do it again. Everybody knows you're the wrestling snob. And see the thing is, like the facade of you being this like super Japanese wrestling fan is gone. Like <laughs> cuz I can't everybody knows that you're like if the match happens in Tennessee in front of 12 people, <laughs> if the whole first row is drunk off their ass, that's a David Vixen span match right there. You would love the Kentucky wrestling scene. And well, who, who is currently on the Kentucky wrestling scene? Well, me on occasion, for one. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend those matches. Uh, let's see. Um... Ron Mathis, perhaps he's very good. You familiar with a Ron Mathis? Mm-mm. Oh, how dare! I, 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 
I actually we and um when we were at a Waffle House coming back from Nashville uh from the Southern Underground Pro Show, going back to Chattanooga in August, we did look at the OVW roster while uh we were waiting for our food and the names some of those guys have are interesting. Is oh, it yeah, Zoe? Isn't Zoe one of the guys on the OVW roster? How the hell should I know? I know that I I was very bummed I couldn't make it to OVW 1000 tonight. Um because there's a lot of people there. I could have got some good work done, like Crimson and Abyss, Mick Foley, Jim Cornette. I could have asked him about how he emailed Jimmy Van and said that he wanted to mash Vince Russo's head into jelly with a baseball bat. Um, there, Shane Helms. Go is on. There. What you don't you don't know about that? No, I'm not surprised. But go so on. So last year, as, as we got to wrap this up, I have another guest coming on at 3:45. But Jimmy Van, when Vince Russo lived in Indiana was like, Sean, you live in Kentucky. You could set up, rent a, rent something to do a debate, stream it live with Vince and Jim Cornette. Oh, no. Oh, the, the amount that he offered was a good... He offered between five to $10,000 each for this. And emailed Jim Cornette, and Jim Cornette sent him a very colorful email. Very colorful email. In which he said, "It's not the first time he's been offered that much money to debate Vince Russo either." Oh, there you go, there you go. And I was serious as the point to where I was making travel plans, and Vince had agreed to it. It didn't, it didn't work out. But David Bixon's fan. As we wrap up, let people know where they can follow you on Twitter, and let people know about uh, Between the Sheets. And you have a very successful Patreon as well. Yes, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at David Bix. Between the Sheets uh, usually goes up late Sunday night, early Monday. Uh, between the sheets pod.com between the sheets on iTunes and all your other favorite podcast purveyors. Uh, just make sure it's the one with me and Chris Elner listed as hosts or else you're going to be hearing about sex stuff. Hey, let, let's maybe we can acquire them. Maybe they're a little cheaper than you all and they can chill our uh, Bluetooth for us. David. Oh, and our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets too. for the, at the very least we usually do uh, a, themed monthly show and uh we got some, got some other stuff up there too and at certain if you do a certain level for a month you can pick a show and so on and so forth so check that out definitely encourage you guys to check that out they have a very very good following on uh patreon as well david thank you so much for joining me do the accent i'm not doing the accent david i'm not your trained puppet okay you, well, you are you are being ejected are you sure that you want to eject david vixen spam from this video yeah i do David Bixon's fan. It's no Jimmy Van of Fightful.com. My God, guys. So Ted Turner, yeah, that's that's sad news. It's disappointing news. At this point of his life, you know, he's not going to be involved in wrestling again. Whatever. He's 79 years old. That's sad. He'll be 80 soon. But hearing that he has Louis Body dementia it means we might not get some of that knowledge or lack thereof that a Ted Turner possesses as it relates to, to, to wrestling. I mean, the thing is, he, it's really, it's varying. People think that he was more involved. He was trying to crush WWE. He was trying to, to uh, compete with WWE. He was trying to hold them down. He was the big, the big, big corporate conglomerate, so to speak. But uh, we'll never get that information. 
I am happy now to be joined by another friend, assuming that her audio turns on. One Demon Diva. You can follow her at WWE Demon Diva. She does all kinds of stuff. The Rant with Ant podcast. She's a YouTuber. And just an overall personality. And and not, not just this. I'm getting the exclusive after the Yankees lost. God. Oh my God, the Yankees are done. The Yankees this year won as many World Series as the Cincinnati Reds. Can you believe it, Isa? I want to punch you so hard right now. It's not even funny. Wow. I'm still, I'm still grieving, okay? So don't don't mess with my feelings. 16 to 1. <laughs> That, that was the, Patriot, the spread between the Patriots and the Jets is probably less than that. Most likely, yes, agreed. Man! <laughs> so that's a, how are you feeling? I mean, at, at this point, I think probably by the seventh inning last night, I, I was in that kind of mood that we New Yorkers get on, where it's just like, we deserve to lose, just give it to them. I mean, you know, the last time we faced the Red Sox in the playoffs, we didn't have social media. So all of my smack talking, nobody had to see it publicly like this time where I just completely embarrassed myself. So, you know, it is what it is. (laughs) Now, I'm going to be completely transparent. I didn't watch the game. I didn't follow along with anything. I was working. There seems to be a lot of Giancarlo Stanton hate and I saw somebody oh. say it was a terrible trade, and I'm like, well, let's, let's, it's not. It's let's not. hope our he's horse just, is there. No, he's just the scapegoat uh, right now. You know, we had it on A-Rod back in the playoffs. Every single time sure. that A-Rod failed, he was New Yorker's scapegoat. And here's Giancarlo taking that position, and he's doing it quite well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people saying that it was a terrible trade. I'm like, uh, hold up. Jorge Guzman went 0-9 in A-plus ball. That's one of the guys that the Yankees got for him. One of the reasons I like talking to you so much is I can gauge kind of – some of the feelings about the New York wrestling scene, because obviously you're big there. You had SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver. In Uniondale, you've got Evolution. You have WrestleMania coming back. But this weekend, there is Bound for Glory. Is there any buzz locally for that? No. None? None. Not that I I know of. And I have a lot of clients and coworkers that usually come to me to talk wrestling or MMA because I'm the only person they know (laughs) to discuss it with. And actually about this one, I haven't had anybody... Kind of like sneak into my office to ask me about tickets or cards or anything, which is shocking. But we had baseball and we thought we were going to have baseball for a little bit longer. So point. I think that might have something to do with it. That's a good point. How do you think that affects shows like A Bound for Glory or even an Evolution, which is in uh, Uniondale, I believe? Because I'm, I mean, I'm they- going to be attending Evolution. So I'm excited for Evolution. Yeah. Um, but um, I think it does affect it. I think it's going to affect it positively for the next couple of days because now you have people trying to find something to do because, you know, yeah. This could be a real blessing in disguise for an impact or blessing in disguise for an impact wrestling who have this show Sunday and don't really have a lot, uh, lot going on. I was very interested in attending Evolution and Uniondale, but man, I got to tell you from a complete outsider of New York, the airline system is very confusing out there. I mean, and there's three major airports for you to fly into. So there's a lot. But how, how far is Uniondale from each one of those? I mean, it's, it's far. You're you're exactly. talking Long Island, and it, it's not that complicated. It looks 
looks complicated. I saw a map roaming around today in social media about how far away everything is from each other for WrestleMania week. And I am going to start my own program where we pair a New Yorker with an out-of-towner for a small fee. And we'll show you how to get to all these places the fastest way and where the good pizza is. That's going to be what I'm going to create for WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, I was going to suggest that because, I mean, <laughs> I, I am... I don't do big cities very well. I visit Toronto here and there, but as I see how things are laid out for WrestleMania weekend, where you got to cross two bodies of water to go from NXT to WWE WrestleMania, I'm like, oh man! And and I saw somebody put like the the, the trans between there is like an hour and a half, something like that. I'm like that. That's a little bit intimidating. Yeah, but that was that was in, in, in a car. First of all, you do not rent that's a car true. if you're coming to WrestleMania weekend. Do not rent a car. You will spend more money and stress on parking and trying to find parking than on anything else. I guarantee you that. So it, try, reach out to me. I got you. I can be a tourist guide. I got you. Yeah, I definitely encourage people. I, I will encourage uh, Issa to kind of educate people because people like me, hey, I go to, to pretty big cities all the time, but I'm never there long enough to find out the easiest way to travel around. And time is very important when you're trying to make all these shows. And next year's maybe one of the most packed period because there are so many more venues for these companies to run there there's there's a lot going on there's is there anything right now that stands out to you about this weekend i know you are big into the wwe branded events right i'm not i haven't been to any kind of outside of wwe shows i have got a lot of people trying to talk me into it so maybe i'll give in but um no 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 honestly you know, because of my coworkers finding out what I do on the side for a hobby, everybody always comes up to me. And this is one card that nobody has brought up to me, which worries me. But, you know, the local the local New York crowd is going to be there and they're going oh, to yeah. show up and make some noise for it. So I'm excited. Yeah, for the way that tickets have moved for that show, I, I was shocked by the, the lack of outside buzz. But uh, as we wrap up, one of the things that was most interesting that you told me about was kind of your loyalty to the Barclays Center. You're not an MSG girl. Uh, I'm maybe not, I'm not. explain to the people why that is. I thought that was fascinating. Well, I believe that Barclays have done a lot for Brooklyn itself and the, the community and the neighborhood. Um, you know, just think about what Brooklyn was back before the Barclays was built. You know, when you go back to those days, you can appreciate the changes that it brought into Brooklyn. Um, but that being said, MSG is just an eyesore. It's old and it's an eyesore. <laughs> Uh, ah. well only local new yorkers are allowed to talk shit about it so you know sorry i curse but only the locals can talk crap if you come in and tell me oh my god msg is so ugly i'll probably slap you but i can't say it it's a weird thing right i don't i don't know how yeah. to explain it <laughs> when roh sold out msg i some people god. got a little upset they were upset that i was I'm like upset. i don't see I'm it upset. as a big i hate it i hate they, every second of it well they say i said i didn't see it as a big deal not because of the venue or anything like that i would have seen i didn't think they were going to sell it out first off I didn't think they were going to sell it out, so that's maybe why I thought it wasn't as big of a deal. But I would be just as impressed if they sold that many tickets anywhere in that city you know, for just, that weekend. It makes MSG another basic arena, and I hate that. Really? Yeah, yeah, because you know that I actually made it a point to go to the WWE house yeah. shows at MSG just because you know that's the only time you're going to attend something at MSG. So it made them special now. It will start feeling like every other house show. It's the first time I'm not excited for the December 26th house show. And they're actually not advertising any extra or special stars like we always get, which I find weird because, you know, now they're biffing. So we're not getting Undertaker. We're not getting Brock. We're getting nothing (laughs) outside of the 
SmackDown Live roster. That show is actually on my, my bucket list. I want to go to a December 26th uh, WWE show at MSG. Uh, Issa, tell the people where they can follow you on social media and uh, about the podcast you're on. At WWDMadiva on Twitter and um, Instagram. And I obviously get to talk wrestling weekly on Rant with End podcast. So, guys, make sure to subscribe. We have a lot of funny three wrestling fans with three complete different point of views talking wrestling. It's a lot of fun. We keep it real. Isa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're ejected. Bringing in some good friends for this podcast. See, I didn't want to do something. I didn't want to do your boy without the list. I'm not doing a list in your boy podcast without Jimmy Van. That's this. That's disrespectful. It's not something I'm gonna. Am I on? Sean comes on here like he's some top shit, and Jimmy Van isn't here, so no one's there to put him in his place. But uh, I guess that's why I got hired, huh, Sean? <laughs> Who's excited for episode 100 of the list in your boy? I am. <laughs> Sean, this is going to be hard for you. It, it's going to be harder than episode 77. It's going to be harder than any Blue Chew promo you've done. <laughs> Get ready. I, I thought you muted me. You had muted me. Who's the I Kentucky know you internet. Me. Kentucky internet is so awful. I'm sorry. No, we're out.